For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the labourers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came, who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who've borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered them, one of them, and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this, if I, I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Back in the Victorian days, you didn't go, when someone said, do you want to go to the pictures? Uh, they didn't mean, do you want to go to the cinema? They meant, do you want to go to the art gallery? And uh, a young lady was invited to go to an art gallery at Easter time to go and see some pictures that were on display uh, to do with the Easter story, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There was a series of paintings taking you through the trial and the uh, execution of the Lord Jesus Christ through to the tomb. And this young lady, who was only uh, a child at the time, when she was standing before a picture of Jesus on the, on the pavement there with Pontius Pilate, she was so drawn into this picture that she cried out, why doesn't someone help him? And nobody answered the question, but that's what she said out loud, that's what she felt. And that stayed with her in her heart as she grew older. Why doesn't someone help him? Well, she grew up and gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ and she devoted her life to, quote unquote, helping him, serve him. And her name was Evangeline Booth. She became a prominent member of the Salvation Army. And she, her life was devoted to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what every Christian should do. We're called to serve the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. We're not called to sit. We're called to serve. One hymn writer said, ready to go, ready to stay, ready my place to fill, ready for service, lowly or great, ready to do his will. 
And that's the attitude that each one of us who is a Christian should have. Deal Moody made it very clear that salvation is not dependent on our good works, but we work because we're saved. He said like this, he said, we do not work to the cross, we work from the cross. And he's exactly right. Good works will never save us, but when we're saved, we do good works. I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord has done, and I will work for any, like any slave for the love of God's dear son. So we're called to be servants of the Lord. And that's what this parable is about. It's about serving the Lord. It's one of three parables in a row in Matthew's gospel on the subject of a vineyard. Uh, The other two are in Matthew 21, verse 28 through to 46, the parable of the two sons and then the parable of the vineyard workers following after that. Three parables in a row uh, using the imagery of a vineyard. Now that would have been an image that the Jewish people would have connected with because the prophets described Israel as God's vineyard and the Lord was the vineyard owner. But this parable focuses on the owner and the workers and those who are supposed to be serving him. And it teaches us three very valuable things about being in God's service. And I want us to consider this tonight because it will help us improve our activity, our attitude and our appreciation uh, as servants of the Lord. I want you to see three vital truths from this parable. First of all, the priority of gospel employment. And that's what we see in verses one through to seven. You know, in uh, West Yorkshire, there is a town called Idle. And it has, ironically, a working men's club in it, which has the unfortunate name of being the Idle Working Men's Club. Well, that would be a very appropriate place uh, in, to go and preach this passage of scripture, because you'll see it mentions several times men who are standing idle. But actually, the story begins with the landowner, not with the workers. And we read in verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. Now, the landowner is a picture here of the Lord himself. And uh, in our Bibles, he comes up, his name is mentioned, or he's shown three times in this passage. Here in verse 1, then in verse 8, where he's called the owner of the vineyard, and uh, again in verse 11, the landowner. In the King James Version, it's got three words which are probably closer to the original Greek. The householder, the Lord, and the goodman. The householder in verse 1, because the the, uh, owner of the land is a man who's the house owner. He owns the land as well. He's called in verse 8, the Lord. And that literally is a translation of the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. He's the one who's in charge. And of course, we know, therefore, that this is about the Lord. And the final name, the goodman, is he's a good man. Again, linked to uh, the, the, the fact that he's the landowner and he's just in his dealings. But this is about him looking for workers. And you'll notice back in verse one, he goes out or he went out 
early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. This is the season of the vintage being gathered in. Israel had a number of harvests through the years. They had uh, a barley harvest in about April time. Then uh, about 50 days later, they have the wheat harvest. And then later on in the year, they have what they call the vintage, the fruit harvest, which comes in ready for the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's that time of the year uh, when it's still very hot in the summer and the fruit has to be gathered in so it doesn't spoil. And this man goes out early in the morning. That's a very key phrase. He goes out early in the morning to hire laborers to work in his vineyard and he sends them out to go and work. This is a picture of God calling out workers to go and work in his vineyard. And those beginning workers, those first workers who went early in the morning at the beginning of the harvest being gathered in were none other than the apostles, the Lord Jesus' 12 disciples. I can tell you that because you'll notice this verse begins with the word for in verse one. You see, this verse is actually linked to the story beforehand where Peter has been talking to the Lord uh, about their service and their rewards. And so the Lord told this parable in connection with that to them. And not only that, but if you come into verse 2, it says this. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The word sent there is the word which gives us apostle. The word apostle literally means one who sent. And this is the initially the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus being sent out early in the beginning of the harvest of of souls being gathered in to go and do the work. But you'll notice it doesn't stop there because after that he goes out again and calls others. In verse 3 and in verse 5 and in verse 6 we're told again he went out, he went out, he went out. And this man, who has initially sent out the twelve, then keeps going out to gather others to come and work in his harvest. And this is a picture of God down the years of time in his church calling Christians to serve the Lord in his vineyard, to go and to win souls for him. It's not about salvation, it's about service. We don't earn uh, our salvation But we do serve the Lord when we're saved. And the Lord is calling people to go and serve. Notice in verse 3, he goes out about the third hour. Then in verse 5, he goes out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And then in verse 6, he goes out in the eleventh hour. It's very interesting, those times. Those are the the four time zones in the 12-hour day of, uh, of Israel. Israel worked on a 12-hour day from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. Remember Jesus said on one occasion, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Well, that was it. That was the hours you worked. Sun up, you go to work. Sun down, you go home. And that's how the day was done. And it began sun up at 6 o'clock in the morning. That was early in the morning. Then the third hour was 9 o'clock, which is what verse 3 is. Then the sixth hour was 12 noon. And the ninth hour was three o'clock in the afternoon and the eleventh hour was just before the end of the day, the last hour at five o'clock. Now what's really interesting is when we look in the Bible we see that's when God was calling people into his service. 
Do you know, after sending out the apostles, the Lord called others into his service at the third hour, at nine o'clock in the morning, on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember? Uh, Peter said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. A new group of servants were added to the church that day. 3,000 went on into the Lord's service. Then in the 6th and the ninth hour, we have 12 o'clock and 3 p.m. Do you realise those are the hours in the story of Cornelius? Cornelius was praying uh, at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when an angel came and saw him. And Peter went up onto the roof of his house to meditate. And the Lord spoke to him at the midday. And Cornelius's was when the, the gospel went to the Gentiles. The Lord poured out the Spirit on the Gentiles. And more were added who became servants of the Lord. Later on in Acts 21, we read about a man from Caesarea called Manasson. And I always remember him because he had a lodge. He lodged the disciples. And it always sounds like a Masonic lodge. But Manasson had a lodge and he looked after the disciples. But he went to serve the Lord from that great time. And then the 11th hour is the last hour. That's where we are in history. John says in 1 John 2.18, this is the last hour. <laughs> the end of time when, when the Lord's gathering his final harvest in. So this is a picture of all through time, the Lord going out and sending out laborers into his harvest field. And this is a, a, an amazing thing, because as you think about it, as it goes on later in the day, as, as according to this parable, the man really doesn't need to go and get more workers. Once the day started getting on, he doesn't need to go and get more workers. But he keeps going out, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. And even the 11th hour, the last hour of the day, he still goes out to see if there's anybody to come and work. And he finds people standing idle and says, don't stand idle, come and work for me. And I will give you what is right. And what this gives us is a picture of the Lord urgently calling people to come into his service. And it shows us the priority of gospel employment for each one of us who is a Christian. We should all be active in our Christian lives serving the Lord. Why has the Lord put such a priority on this? Let me give you three sweet peas, okay? Purpose, partnership and preparation. Purpose, when you, when you get saved, serving the Lord gives you purpose in your life. They did a, a big Billy Graham crusade in one city and a, and a, a Christian union where there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who heard the gospel and many young people became Christians. And afterwards they handed around a, a, a questionnaire in the Christian union. What's changed in your life since you became a Christian? Do you know what came up again and again and again in that, in that questionnaire was they found the word purpose. Purpose. I'm now living for the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him. And there's a tremendous purpose that God brings into our life when we begin to service. But also partnership. You see, when you're called into the partnership in the vineyard, you're working alongside the other vineyard workers. And you enter into a tremendous partnership with them and with the Lord. What was it Paul said in the book of uh, Corinthians? Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He says a whole partnership in the work of the gospel. And we enter into that. Jesus said you've entered into other men's laborers. And he sent his disciples out in twos when he sent them out. And there's a partnership that is such a blessing in gospel employment. 
I knew of a church near Reading where the people were at at each other's throats all the time falling out. And that little church suffered uh, a terrible event where the building was terribly damaged and they all had to gut the building out and restart it again. And you know what God did through that? When they all had to come back and repair the roof and redecorate it and reupholster the chairs and everything, every Saturday morning they were going down there, the men were working alongside each other, they became close brothers and sisters. And in that partnership, they found a fellowship that was sweeter than they'd had before. That's what the Lord wants. And also it's preparation. It's preparation for heaven. We begin a life of service on earth that we may continue it in heaven. Don't think we're going to heaven to be put our feet up and do nothing. Far from it. We're going to heaven to serve the Lord. And we're going to carry on serving him in heaven. And it's going to be uh, a life of continued service. So serving him now here on earth is preparation for heaven. I want to lay this simple challenge before you tonight. Are you engaged in the Lord's service? Are you active in the Lord's service? Are you doing what you can, where you can, with what you've got? You know, a lot of people say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Listen, God isn't interested in what you can't do. He's interested in what you can. And every Christian has abilities that they can use in God's service. Pray about it and ask the Lord, what can I do? There's a priority of gospel employment and God is calling you and me into his service even tonight. Second thing I want you to see here is the principle of equal employment. Because the parable goes on in verses 8 to 15 to teach us something about the equality in God's employment. And this is the main thrust of this parable. If you come to verse 8, it says, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the labourers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. This was a good man. This was a good man who was doing this because he was fulfilling the command in the law. In Deuteronomy 24, 15, it said, if a man works for you, you're to give him his pay. They were subsistence level workers. They lived hand to mouth. They went to work for a day, uh, day's wage and they probably spent that day's wage on their bread to feed their families for the next day. So you always paid them in the evening for that day. And the Lord uh, in this parable is teaching the fact that there will be pay, there will be rewards for our service to him. And in this parable, he calls the labourers through his steward to come and receive their pay. Now we're going to come back to this in a minute, but you'll notice they come in reverse order. Normally you'd say uh, it would be the first in would be the first out to pay, get their pay. But it was the other way around. He began with the last and went to the first. And it says in verse 9, and when those who came who were hired, and I want you to put a line through that, who were hired, because it doesn't say who were hired in the Greek. They weren't hired. The first men you'll notice, received their wages as an agreement back in verse 2. They agreed a denarius a day. That was their pay. That was uh, uh, their pay. But the others weren't, they didn't agree a pay. 
They were called. He went out and to find people who were standing idle. And he said, whatever is right, I will give you. He made no promise to them what they would get. But he called them, uh, not hired those other people. And so in verse 9, when those who came who he had called, about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. Wow, this is amazing. These men who only worked one hour at the end of the day received the same pay that the original workers had signed up for for the whole day. That's how generous this man was. And uh, a denarius was a day's wage in Bible times. By the way, you may not have known this. I I may have known this. I didn't know this. You know we used to call pounds, shillings and pence and we call pence D. Do you know why it's called a D? It's because a denarius was called a penny in the King James. If you're using the King James, it says a penny. So a D, a penny, (laughs) doesn't make sense, does it? But that's why it was a denarius. But he gave them a denarius for a day's, uh, for an hour's pay, just as the others had signed up for. Now then, here comes the problem in verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they Likewise, received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. And their problem is they expected to receive more because they had been back at the beginning when they had been called. And uh, these other people who came in later received the same as them. And they, they couldn't understand the fairness of that. Well, the landowner goes on and he explains the situation here. And by the way, isn't it interesting? Uh, you know, I was re- listening recently to a man who used to work for a newspaper, a big newspaper in London. And he said, it should have been one of the best days of the year, but it was one of the worst days of the year, was when you had to do pay reviews for people. And he said, he'd have people come in there his office, and he'd look at their pay, and he'd say to them, now then, this is what you're on now, we'd like to up your pay to this for this year. Are you happy with that? And they'd say, oh yes, thank you very much, and they'd go out. He said, then about two hours later, they would come back in again, and they'd say, Well, so-and-so is doing the same job and they're getting paid more than me. He said, but a moment ago, I asked you, were you happy for that? (laughs) And he was doing it by what they had agreed. And he had the right to do that. And this is the thing. You know, everybody wants equality until they think they deserve more. Isn't that true? And that was the case with these people in this parable. They didn't, they didn't want to just get what they had had uh, promised them originally. They felt because the owner was giving the last people a denarius, they therefore deserved more. And they began complaining against the landowner. Now, this is where the Lord is warning us in this parable about our attitude to his service. And he's speaking especially to the disciples. You see, as I said earlier on, this follows on the account of the Lord Jesus in chapter 19. And in chapter 19, the rich young ruler had just come to Jesus. And you remember how the Lord Jesus challenged the rich young ruler? He said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away sad. 
because he had lots of things and he wasn't willing to do it. Well, when that happened, the other disciples were all watching. And Peter, the spokesman, he made a connection. He wasn't willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. But we've given up everything to follow Jesus. And this is what prompts this whole parable. If you look back in chapter 19, verse 27, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And he's asking the Lord, what are you going to pay us? These are like the disciples at the beginning who agreed an amount. Well, the Lord has graciously revealed in this parable that he is actually going to give the same basic pay to all the workers in all the years of history as he gave the apostles. They agreed it, but we have it just by trusting him. Now, that's an amazing thing. And it's Peter got the message later on in his letter. He talked about those who have like precious faith as us. And... Uh, he, he understood. But this is uh, the, the message of the parable. The principle of equal employment. And he's trying to get us to see about trusting in the Lord. Verse 12. Sorry, verse 13. The Lord answers. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? He's warning against wrong attitudes against the Lord himself because he's willing to give equal pay to those who come later on. Now the apostles, you can understand it. They said, we've borne the heat of the day in this parable. And they had done. The heat of the day is like the persecution. you know. And they suffered for following the Lord at the beginning. And those early disciples, they left their nets. They left everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And they all suffered terrible deaths. Uh, apart from John, as far as we know, for following the Lord. But the Lord looks on all of us as receiving his rewards, not because we've quote unquote earned it, but because he wants to give it to us as an act of grace. You see, you and I don't really deserve anything from the Lord except hell. That's what we deserve. But he's called us into his service so that we may have blessings that come from his hand. And the point that the, the Lord was trying to do was, was two things. He was trying to encourage those of us who are later with the fact that we're going to get what the apostles got. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel I deserve what the apostles got. But the Lord's graciously going to do that. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's going to be our basic, our basic reward in heaven. You can increase your reward according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 by serving faithfully and you have gold, silver, precious stones and all those other things. Otherwise, if you serve him unfaithfully, you'll have wood, hay and stubble which will get burnt up. That's 1 Corinthians 3. But the basic pay is going to be the same as the apostles for our service. That's amazing. You see how blessed you're going to be when you get to heaven? It's astounding, isn't it? But he was also teaching them, and I think all of us, that we need to trust the bookkeeping to God 
You see, Peter was so clear, wanted to settle it. I want to know what I'm going to get. Like those early workers, they wanted an agreement. The others just heard the call, go and I'll give you what's right. And they went. They had no contract, no agreement. They just trusted him. And those who trusted him for what they would get, they did best. They did best. Heard a lovely little story that can explain this better than I can put it like this. About a little boy who went with his dad to a sweet shop. And it was uh, one of those old-fashioned sweet shops for health and safety. And uh, they had big sweet jars. And it was five shillings. This is how old this story is. Or whatever the price was. Five cents, I think it was, in America. And uh, you could put your hand in and get as much as you wanted for five cents, as much as one handful could be. And the dad, when he went to the till, he said, we'll have one of those for the boy then, please. And the shop owner got down, uh, got out a bag and uh, he got down this jar and took the jar off and offered it to the boy. And you know what? The boy kept his hands in his pockets. And the shop owner said, go on, son, put your hand in, have a handful. And he wouldn't do it. And he acted all shy and coy and, uh, and in the end, the man gave up and he said, look, I'll do it for you. And he put his hand in and filled the bag. Anyway, as they were walking home, the dad turned to the boy and said, what was that all about? You're not normally shy. He said, no, dad, but he's got bigger hands than me. <laughs> and I figured if I left it to him, I'd get more. Now, that is the parable. If you trust the Lord for the rewards, he'll see to it you get more. If you want to buy, I want to know what I'm going to get. You won't come out well. But if you just say, Lord, we trust you. That it'll come out best. And it does for us. We're going to get the the same basic pay, even as an apostle, from what this parable teaches. Isn't that an astounding thing? And I hope that helps us in our attitude to the issue of rewards. You know, very often in rewards, we're thinking about what other people are going to get. Let's just trust God and just serve him. Keep our eyes on him and serve him and not worry uh, about who's going to get what. There's a lovely story told about George Whitfield that on one occasion, you know, George Whitfield and John Wesley had their differences over the sovereignty of God in salvation. Uh, Whitfield was like me. He believed in predestination and trusted and believed in the sovereignty of God in salvation. Whitfield was like Alan. He was an Arminian. Okay. And, and said, no, I don't believe that. I believe, you know, free will. And uh, there was the, the difference between them. And afterwards, they, after they decided to go separate ways in their work, uh, somebody said to Whitfield, do you think you'll see Mr. Wesley in heaven? And Whitfield turned around and said, no, I don't think I will. And said, oh, don't you think he's saved then? He said, oh, I think he's definitely saved. He said, but he'll be so far down the front, we'll never see him. <laughs> we'll be at the back. He, he was looking at, at the Lord's blessing for others, not for himself. So uh, make sure our attitude is right. That's a key factor. Third thing and final thing is this, is the privilege of final employment. Because as this parable ends, the Lord gives us a punchline to take home. Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. And there's another phrase which is not in some of your Bibles, it might be in the footnote. It says, for many are called, 
but few chosen. And the final uh, statement that the Lord gives us here is a highlight of the privilege of final employment. The apostles were at the beginning of the day, early in the day, and they expected to be the most privileged ones. And it's interesting, after this, what happens is uh, John's and James's mum comes and starts bargaining with the Lord about where they're going to sit on the right hand and the left hand. They definitely felt they had a privileged position or deserved it. But the Lord says, it's the last who are going to be first. And by the way, that's how the, uh, uh, the last chapter ended as well, in verse 30 of chapter 19. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And what the Lord's teaching us is that when it comes to receiving our rewards in heaven for his service, the last generation will be the first to get their rewards. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we worry and feel bad about being the last generation of believers, perhaps before the Lord comes. We're seeing the church shrink. We're seeing, you know, the, 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 the decline of Christianity in the Western world. And we're, we're feeling like, oh, Lord, you know, if only we'd lived, you know, a few hundred years ago, we'd have a different situation. But actually, the last are going to be the first to get their rewards. And the first will be the last to get their rewards. So there's a privilege here of final employment. And that last phrase uh, connects with it, for many are called but few chosen. Now, I've told you I believe in predestination, but this verse is not talking about predestination. You might think it is because it sounds like it, but it's not. The the few who are chosen were the 12 disciples. They were the few. And Jesus said, John chapter seven, uh, chapter six, have I not chosen you, the twelve? They were the original twelve who were chosen. But the called are the hired workers. He called them into his vineyard later on. He said there's a few who were chosen, the twelve, but there's many who are called into his service. And those last ones are going to be the first ones to receive their reward. I know that'll take some thinking through, but uh, write it down and you can reflect on it. But this is the privilege I want you to take, and I hope that helps us with our appreciation. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord in this day and age. So I want to encourage you tonight to get into the Lord's vineyard and start serving him. It's the last hour, I'm sure of it, because of what John says. And we're seeing things that are hallmarks of the last days happening in the world as prophesied in the Bible. Now is our time, now is our chance to come and serve him. And maybe you're later in life and you haven't come. Maybe it's the 11th hour of your life. (laughs) Still time to come and serve the Lord in the 11th hour of our lives and serve him as best we can. Serve him in prayer, serve him in activity, serving the Lord. I pray that God will raise up a a mighty army of workers here at Union Chapel as we consider what it means to be in God's service.